welcome. welcome. We're having an episode of Connect This. Not as good as when I really get it right. Connect This. And we have our all-star lineup back. I'm, I'm very excited for our, our common recurring, super popular uh, panelists. Uh, we're going to be talking today about a bunch of really exciting stuff. Uh, we're talking about digital redlining. That's probably come last. We're going to talk about micro-trenching. Uh, we're going to talk about the new treasury bill, uh, the treasury rules that are going to distribute $10 billion on broadband. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, we're not going to complain too much about them. And uh, we're going to start off uh, talking um, as well about maybe a little bit about what Kim and I have been up to down in Houston. So let me introduce our crew today. We have Kim McKinley, who's uh, at Utopia and uh, therefore is part of the St. Thomas or the, the Thomas More fan club. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Coming live from the Houston airport today. Yes, where you were just at the broadband communities where you were on every other panel and did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Not overexposed at all. We're really excited to be here today. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> you did a great job, especially on the panel that I was on with you. That was the most fun one. I don't even think you watched the other ones, though. Yeah, but I knew that you were really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we also have returning Doug Dawson, who uh, is with CCG. He runs the Pots and Pans Kitchen Sales Department of uh, Pots and Pans by CCG.com. Uh, one of the things I heard from multiple people down in Houston is how they start off their day reading your post of the day on that site, Doug. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, before we get going today, I do want to bring up something real quick. We've talked every single All-Star episode about the supply chain, and, and I, don't, I hope we don't lose two panelists on this, but you do realize there is now a major supply chain issue with chicken wings, right? So mm -hmm. chicken wings are in very short supply. You know, I was taking a little bit of a health break um, in that I was trying to slightly be healthy lately, and I did not know that. Now I feel like I've just had a long <laughs> bad timing. Uh, Chris, oh, I saw you eat the other night at the barbecue joint. I don't you know, know how well your health break is. There was no wings. <laughs> <laughs> Pit Barbecue in Texas, quite good. We also have Travis Carter with Uzi Fiber. That's USI Uzi Fiber, uh, selling inaccurate firearms from Israel. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Chris. Nice to be back. Uh, you know, I don't have anything to say. You know, welcome. Welcome. Back. <laughs> I'm excited, Travis. You and I, we have a great. So, so last week we had a really fun show, um, which Travis could not participate as much. But you're back now. You're on Fiber. You're doing great. Um, we have a show next week with these two clowns again, Kim and Doug. We're going to talk about permitting and right-of-way, which is going to be so much fun. We're probably going to do it live and in person uh, in um, at our at our, my office because uh, my, my whole uh, crew is going to be there. And then we have like another three or four shows lined up after that. Uh, we have so much good stuff coming. It's very exciting, Travis. Oh, that's exciting. Hold on. I'm coming to your office next week? I'm hoping so. Nice. I'll yeah. be there. And I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, where um, I travel around and talk about stuff and take credit for my colleagues' work. 
Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of really exciting stuff today, but I wanted to kick off with a really interesting quote that I read from a comment on Doug's blog, um, which uh, comes from somebody who goes by Robert S. Uh, Doug wrote a post about technology neutrality uh, within the federal government when it comes to spending broadband, which Travis has, has harped on about many times on the show and just how um, it's ridiculous how what we put money into um, for in terms of being uh, viable in the future. So uh, that's another post that Doug, I saw a lot of people in social media commenting about, and you're riffing on Chris Ali, who wrote a great book, Farm Farm Fresh Broadband. Is that Farm one? Fresh Broadband, yes. And Chris Ali is, is someone that I, I have a lot of admiration for at the University of Virginia. Anyway, Doug does a great post about that. And uh, here's a quote from Robert S. Says, maybe Uncle Sam should decouple the definition of broadband from the FCC. There's a standard setting agency, NIST, at the Commerce Department. Uh, NIST is where I go to set my the clocks on my cameras, uh, things like that. Um, and uh, they should be tasked with reviews of internet speeds. He says quadrennial, but I actually just say maybe it should be tasked with reviewing internet speeds based on real world tests. And they would set the definition of broadband and the FCC would set its policy around that. Take the politics out of it. Keep it in the Department of Commerce. Seems like a really good question. Uh, or seems like a really good suggestion. Uh, let me throw it to you first, Doug. What do you think? And this is the, this is a quick response area. I absolutely love it because the FCC has made the has made their response political instead of factual. So we have to get politics out of it. And Kim, how do you react to it? Okay, first of all, I didn't listen to the question. What was the question? <laughs> should, should we use the definition of broadband set by NIST um, within the Department of Commerce, which sets other standards of weights and measures and things like that? Absolutely not. I agree with Doug on this. It, politics shouldn't be in the business of broadband. It's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. So then I think you do want NIST to set it because the, the claim is that there would be less politics there. It would be more like uh, the pointy-headed bureaucrats that were focused on it. Fair enough. This is why I shouldn't do a podcast from an airport. Is probably the case I'm learning right now. <laughs> Travis, okay, what are your thoughts? Go, Jimmy? Let's go to Travis. Yes, let's go to Travis. Travis on weather. Is this still a debate? I thought we'd already figured out on a couple episodes ago. It was a gig symmetrical fiber only. Well, so so like this is like the question of like what the market might consider to be um, uh, a smart investment and future proof. Uh, when it comes to federal programs, they are very legalistic. And um, this is where it comes down to setting things like who's eligible for access and things like that. So um, okay. who is the most effective at our at our government of actually getting something done? I think NIST does really well. Uh, I think Kim is volunteering that Utopia is the most effective. <laughs> I am because I mean, like, what is effective in government besides like utopia? I mean, not to to toot our own horns, but how many governmental agencies are a success in the federal government? Yes, I think there we get into this issue of whether um, it, states had different standards of broadband, which they do, uh, <laughs> um, and that would be a pain for industry if they uh, had to. Uh, deal with that. I don't always feel so bad about a patchwork of small things, but. Um, I, I think it's a brilliant idea, and it would be really nice if that would take the politics out of it, or maybe it would just end up ruining NIST. Well, get, give me a history lesson. Who set the power standard? Which government entity back in the day? FERC. FERC? I think FERC. the power standard may have been set before FERC existed, though. You think? 
I think it was probably like a voluntary thing that the monopolies ended well, the, up. Well, the, in, well the, industry, the industry made their own original manuals, but FERC would have codified it, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Does FERC still exist? Oh, yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My vote is FERC. They did a heck of a nice job on the power. <laughs> yeah, except, 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 except for Texas. <laughs> where FERC is mostly ignored specifically right. like Texas is designed to ignore FERC. This actually gets Doug and I can, can continue our spat from fate from, uh, from social media where I was ragging on the way we deal with power. And Doug said it's perfectly reasonable and intelligent. Even <laughs> we could, well, that'd be the end of the show. That's all we talk about. Well, and maybe we'll save it for Kim, the end of the show. And Kim, and Kim would go, I, I don't know what you just talked about. So. <laughs> <laughs> So I vote for we're, ta we're talking about power now, Doug. We got that veered off of we veered off here. We, we, did. Isn't, we did. Isn't this but, a podcast but, about broadband? No, it is, but actually, I mean, I think it's relevant that when we look at something which has gone so far astray and is so broken, that we look at something which has worked fairly well, we believe, and we look try to draw some lessons from it. So I, you know, I will defend our our excursion down the rat hole on that basis. But uh, taking your point, uh, we can move on to telecom peekaboo quick. Ah, so this is downtown St. Paul. Henry, our, our producer, is putting up this image. I took this. It's a little bit far away. You can't really tell, but this is um, downtown St. Paul. It's on Robert Street, right where Sawat D, wonderful Thai place, uh, is. And what I thought was interesting, and I didn't get a photo of it, but um, this is you know a typical sort of small cell. Um, but it was literally, I would say, 150 yards from another pole that looked more or less identical in each direction. And I was surprised and I was curious, Doug and, and Travis in particular, if you have any thoughts about that, like why would they be going like 500 feet apart rather than more like a thousand feet apart or 2000 feet apart? It seemed like it was way closer than I would have expected. I mean, this is St. Paul. It's not like Manhattan by any stretch of the imagination. Well, was it the same carrier on each? Yeah, my, my guess is different carriers. Yeah, I but I, it looked like the, it looked like those micro those are microwave panels in the bottom, right? Um, the flat panels. Or those are like backhaul radio antenna, yeah. They're directional antennas, yeah. Well, I assume that those are directional, and they were basically pointing at each other. Um, from mm. like it looked like that, and so I do think they were. It was. It looked like it was all the same gear, um, you know. And so uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they were different. That would make more sense. But it looked to me like they were part mm. of the the same, and they were also on uh, the other two were on the opposite side of the street. So it looked like. Maybe they're just trying to get a different coverage pattern or something. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think <coughs> Verizon over there did all that work, didn't they? In Minneapolis and St. Paul. So, I, they, yeah, they, they, yeah, they might be experimenting with different ways of doing the millimeter wave, you know, stuff, and so that might just be a, a trial because most of them I've seen are eight hundred to a thousand feet, so five hundred's awfully close. So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely like you know, um, like the mid the middle of a of a city block to the next middle of the city block it was not very far is there a skyway in between them nope okay yeah so i mean next time i should take better photos yeah. but yeah, well, i yeah. started eating and forgot about it a picture of the other one it might be interesting yeah so uh let's move on to our first topic we've got a bunch of topics today and i think the first thing we should talk about is treasury we should get it done quickly we should move on to micro trenching where we'll spend a lot of time i hope talking about it 
And and Kim, I don't know if Roger is still there, if he's one of the folks in the audience, but he can certainly jump in, share any photos if he'd like to. Um, and um, you can. Uh, uh, I lost him. He's probably in a massage chair somewhere, like in the, <laughs> in the airport. Because Roger's been collecting pictures of micro trenching. We'll come to that in a second. Um, so Treasury released the rules. Doug, um, per usual, you probably read them very closely. Um, I read them last night on the plane. And um, I waited a week to um, really dig into them, and I was super happy. Um, this is this is the American Rescue Plan, passed a bunch of different buckets of money. This is the bucket of money of ten billion dollars that can basically only be used for capital um, stuff, which means like broadband networks or maybe laptops and other computer devices, uh, in which uh, it will improve broadband uh, connectivity for health and, and employment reasons and stuff like that. Uh, so we finally got the rules for that and the states will qualify for this money. So Doug, what are your top line takeaways? Well, first off, it was exactly what you would have hoped for if I were to written my own list. That was pretty much it. Uh, they give the money to the states. <clears throat> the states are going to get to pick the projects. Um, there is no tie-in at all to FCC mapping, so they can set their own definition of what they want to have served. It's going to be available in cities to get broadband to poor neighborhoods. It's going to be available in rural areas. States are going to be able to set their own thing. That's That part's both good and bad because that means in California it'll all go to AT&T, but most states will do a good job with it. So there will be states that really muck it up. Uh, it doesn't really have much in the way of computers and all. The states actually would have to still retain ownership of computers for some very odd reason. So I, I think that maybe they're going to give some, you know, some lending units to libraries or something. I think that's a really tiny part of it. Uh, but it's, you know, it, the speeds are great. Uh, you know, you can't, they really want you to not, you know, the definition of what is broadband is 100 by 20. And so, uh, there, you know, that completely eliminates DSL. Unfortunately, it, the only downside I see is that leaves in the cable companies and the wireless companies. But that's the state's call if they want to give money to those things or not. So, yeah, there's broad there's broad latitude if uh, the state, or presumably if the state's working with local governments, um, to define areas as saying yes, perhaps there's widespread cable availability, but there's other reasons that there are lacking access that is effective, and so it's very open to interpretation. Well, when you start matching that up with the ARPA money, the commu communities got, and there's going to be some pretty good projects coming out of this, so. Yeah, now, there's a few there's a few small states that'll probably actually have a hard time even spending it all. It goes from 125 up to six or seven hundred million, according to the size of the state and it's some crazy FCC formula. But you know, you know, there's a few states like Rhode Island. There's really not much that doesn't already have FIOS there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. So, and just to be clear with the numbers that Doug was throwing out, it's um. Uh, areas that are eligible or areas that have less than 100. Well, and a lot of this was suggested language too, but areas that have less than... Every, everything in the whole thing is suggested. There was one or two required. There was, uh, there was one or two here or there. Yeah, Not that's many, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, but generally, if you don't have 100 down, 20 up, you qualify. That's a reliable um, all times a day. Reliable like, was the great word. Yes. Right. And they actually, I mean, they were pretty clear about it. This is, this is what we were hoping for with the definitions from right. the, the previous program. We didn't quite get there, although um, it's still aggressive cities, I think, would be smart to still um, use this rules effectively for the other ones too, for the rescue plan dollars. But then if you build, once again, you have to build to 100 megabits symmetrical. 
So um, that is a requirement. And if there's a really good reason, you know, if you're the city of Columbus and you're looking at um, trying to do CBRS and maybe you can't do 100 megabits symmetrical on CBRS, but you still think it's a really good idea, then you can work with Treasury. You can do 100 down, 20 up potentially. Uh, So there's some flexibility there for certain circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it, it couldn't be better. So, yeah. So that's that's exciting. I just want to put that out there. I don't want to be the negative Nellies who are only ragging on um, government agencies when they get things wrong. I think this is broadly right. I really salute the hard work that went into it. And I'm glad that, um, like, I think Angelina, um, who we talked about last week, Angelina Panateri from National League of Cities, deserves a lot of credit for uh, making sure the cable companies don't dominate Treasury. The biggest downside of the whole thing is there are a few... There's a number of states who don't really have a broadband office put together yet. They're, they're going to have a challenge using it. So. Well, Michigan has a broadband office, two? but it's not staffed. Right. But that's the um, thing. It's like Michigan has an office, but they don't staff it. So right. I don't know how that works entirely. It's going to be a bit of a challenge for those folks because they're going to be processing these grants. So, Yes. Are, the, are these grants for new construction or yes. to, bring, to bring service? Because what we're seeing is, is that the cities that got that, you know, what, what was the last handout that happened what you guys also the rescue plan yeah 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 it's uh instead of weekly peekaboo we should have government program of the week so (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know i mean if you spend 60 hours a week you can keep track of all this in your head uh so whichever one it was where all the cities got a little slice uh what they're starting to do around here now is instead of investing in build they're just investing in the incumbent cable company's low-cost connectivity product to get people connected right away. And they're going to use it all up on that. Wow, so that's like, sad. This yeah, one is infrastructure. This, this one is infrastructure. So, yeah. Okay, only, only. So they have to actually build something with it? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, and actually, there's one other thing that I thought was interesting, which I didn't realize, but someone in Houston pointed out to me related to all this, which is that um, Title I schools, uh, which um, are pretty common in, in more urban areas, um, everyone who attends a Title I school is, is, um, uh, is qualified for EBB. And um, uh, I thought that was interesting because I never really quite put that together because a Title I school, every child gets to free and reduced lunch, therefore... Um, they all will qualify for EBB. And so I feel like that's some messaging that could be useful, making sure that people don't feel like, oh, maybe it doesn't apply to me. No, you got a kid in one of these schools, boom, you know, you could get the EBB. Yeah, so, yeah but remember, EBB doesn't actually pay any money. You just get to send in bills. So month, <laughs> m- month three, zero dollars. So you haven't received any money yet? I was curious about that. No. And you're going to get a giant check one day to catch up, probably. Well, that's, that's how it goes. You know, it, it, might, it might be next July. Provider, that's you know, kind of you know, we, I've been there where you know, cash is tight. You, you can't wait around like this. No. Mm-hmm. Kim, have you uh, had a better experience with that? With the EBB program, or are you talking about the broadband program? <laughs> the EBB. I'm just curious if you've seen anything back. You're pro- you're you're using it, aren't you? So we have a qualified, we have not implemented it yet, but some of our providers have, and they, they're, they're not seeing a huge uptake in people who are signing up for EBB. And I think this is what we, like at the conference we just saw, was that a lot of people, they, the federal government uh, marketed the EBB to the providers, but the providers have no incentive to market to the end user. And that is one of the biggest fundamental problems with the EBB and how it was launched. 
Yeah, so, I do think yeah. we saw the numbers for Utah and they weren't great. I think AARP yeah. Utah might help market that around a little bit. Some of the other nonprofits would be great. Travis, have you had problems submitting your, your numbers into it? Have you stopped just trying to submit your numbers? You had a oh, real problem we, with that originally. We figured out a manual approach of how to do it. So we've been submitting the man. The automated process wasn't working well. So we've just been submitting a monthly manually. And um, so it hasn't been good. So but backtracking to this other thing, can we track some of these dollars, like pick a state and actually see what happens? Because I'm always curious where this money goes. It seems to just disappear into the ether. And I, I would be actually, it'd be nice to actually go and see where they used it. I will be tracking several states that I'm heavily involved in. Yep. So I'm very interested too. So, yep. Isn't it like usspending.gov or usaspending.gov is sort of a, a place you could go and start digging around? Oh, man. To put it together out of there is really hard. So how do you track it? <laughs> I, I track it locally because, I like in North Carolina, I know where everyone's talking about it. We know what's going on. So mm -hmm. so it's not that hard to track your own state. Yep. Do you think any of the large cities are going to get some of it, or is it all going to go rural like everything else? Oh, uh, well, that's up to the state. In this state, it's mostly going to go rural, okay. um, but that's up to the state. So... There's definitely I there's definitely states who will who are gonna like I'm pretty sure Illinois is gonna give some to cities. So it just depends on the state. Okay, Kim. Yeah, and I just have a question. Like, so we with the federal government we went over the first hurdle of the federal government and not like effing this up. So why do we not think that the states aren't gonna eff it up when they disseminate the money? Like, oh, oh, some what? some will, <laughs> some will be horrible. Some will absolutely fall on their face and be dreadful. But there's you know there's probably thirty who would do a great job. 10 who will muck it up some and 10 who will fail spectacularly. We, we have states, I'm in one of them. There's a good chance in this state it all goes to charter. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what we do with grant money here. So who knows? One of, the, one of my friends down in uh, Houston kept reminding me that um, charter is talking about how they're not going to do almost anything for five or 10 years with that Ardoff money. Uh, wow. I don't know where he's picked that up, but uh, he's someone who tracks this stuff pretty closely and he feels like... Um, that they're seeing signs and sort of quiet, like quiet notes to communities. Don't expect an immediate investment from those territories that Charter won. So I don't know because I've I've heard elsewhere that I feel like Charter's pulling permits in some places. So uh, I've um, I've heard here they're pulling some rural permits. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it I've could asked, be select could be selective by state. I mean that's not. How, how does it work though? Like with these grants, because we're now up to a forty percent material price increase since January first. How does that get factored into it? It doesn't at all. Your grant doesn't go up one penny. Yeah. Really? Okay. Really. Yep. Just less projects, Travis. Just less projects is what happens. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about micro-trenching. Um, this is something that had come up. Uh, it's something that uh, I've been sort of curious about. I've been super... Um, uh, dismissive of because and I think we talked about it briefly before and then uh, some folks from a major company um, sort of convinced me that they had actually um, worked with material scientists and found different compositions in different areas and the, the, getting the proper rates of expansion and compression and and that they could make it work well and then um, 
uh, Kim and, and uh, her boss, Roger, uh, Roger's listening in and maybe sharing some photos with us to put up on the screen, or have experience with it out in Utah. And uh, sure doesn't seem to be <laughs> as good as some people are saying it is. So I figured Doug would have opinions. And, and I'm curious um, if we talk first about just whether what it does to the roads. I really want to dig in with Travis about what it does to the network uh, when you build that kind of way. Well, first off, I'm a fan of it in the right places. We helped to put it into a major airport. Uh, it was way cheaper to run around the tarmac and bring the fiber into the terminals than to try to snake it through all the stupid ceilings and tunnels. And so that was a great project. And they would <clears throat> they came along behind it and they painted a bright yellow line that says fiber, 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 so no one ever digs it up. You know, it's going to be safe for, for a very long time. Perfect use of it. Campuses, any place where you can control the digging. The problem I have with it is not even the technology because they will get that right, I believe. But the, you know, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and and what got my attention was in the first year I lived here, they did an emergency dig at one end of my block for a water major water pipe break. With within the year, they did a major cut at the other end of the block for a gas leak, and so that got me asking questions around the city. And my city of about hundred thousand people averages one major emergency dig with a backhoe every day. And, and they cut out three, four, five, six feet along a side of a street when they do those. And if you micro-trench that into anywhere near within three or four feet of the curb, that's 365 fiber cuts a year. Absolutely unsustainable. And, and they don't get repaired fast. This is not the kind of cut that people run out. It could be open for a week or two. So, so fiber gets cut and you just don't have broadband for two weeks until the gas line's fixed. And I, I, I don't see a practical use for it in city streets. Uh, I see very good practical uses for it in places where you're pretty sure you're not going to dig. It could be a great thing to do along the shoulders of roads along interstates. I mean, there's a lot of places it makes sense, but not where people live. No. They did it in a major telecom provider in the city of Salt Lake, did it right in front of my house. And I have pictures. Um, some of these might be the ones that Roger uh, has taken as well because um, he came and viewed it. And he said to me, is it funny that the worst micro trenching I've ever seen is right in front of your house? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, legit, the roads were falling apart. The micro trenching was it was supposed to be like just a cut and i mean the road was like crumbling right around it there were potholes that they left uncovered i mean it was a disaster and i mean it like people were falling in them i mean like lawsuits are happening because of it it's it's just not practical and the like construction practices are one thing but what what we saw i actually went out there with a tape measure and i was like okay they say this is going to be eight inches deep it went from four inches at some spots to 16 within like a foot and a half. I mean, it was, and it looked like a drunk person went down the road with a machine to get it done. It, like, I don't know why cities are letting this happen to their roads. Um, it's well, and, and, the, and, the, and the reason that, yeah, and the reason that happens is it only works if the streets are in good condition. A lot of streets are not yeah. in good condition. If the streets already got problems, structural problems, it just crumbles the heck out. Of it. And that's where I feel like we can talk about two separate sets of discrete 
situations. One would be areas that never freeze, and the other is places that have regular freeze and thaw cycles. Because, you know, in Southern California and even in um, Northern California, I think Sonic is pushing very hard to do a lot more micro trenching, and Dane Jasper has it together, right? I mean, we should probably have him on the show to talk more about this because I have the same questions you do, Doug. To me, it seems like micro trenching saves you some capital expense, but then it drives your operating expense through the roof. And that doesn't seem like a very good trade to me from what I understand of the, of the business. Um, well, but- well, and then even in Northern California, every 30 to 40 to 50 years, they rip a street two feet deep and repave it. There goes your entire fiber network for four months. I mean, they don't fix those things for quite a while. And it's like, right. gee, that's not really a good idea. And so it's going to get disrupted in major ways. I love the idea. I don't see the execution ever working in busy places. So. Right. But but you can't, every provider can't go down no. the street and micro-trench. Oh, my so that's gosh. Thing. Yeah, that's well, if, we, yeah. if, we, if we had six micro-trenches on a street, we just the street is absolutely well, going to kill But even then, Kim, Kim actually <laughs> makes a practical argument that you can't have a second micro-trench. Explain that, Kim. I agree. Yeah, you can't micro-trench doubly down the street, so you have one provider. And, I mean, I'll put a plug well, out for open you? access. Then. You explained um, it to sure me why. just yesterday. Oh, you said like because you, it's hard so hard to cross. You gotta like you gotta keep crossing oh, yeah. the other micro trench. Well, sometimes I speak, Chris, and I don't remember what I said two days ago. <laughs> you say so many great uh, things, you can't possibly remember them all. Well, uh, the yeah, issue the issue is intersections. You can't do intersections with two people. You can't. Yeah, yeah I right. mean, what are you gonna yeah. have like a like right. it's gonna be a whole puzzle of fiber right. in your streets? But I mean, unless you're doing open access networks and you're only doing doing it once, right? Then it possibly could work but that's not going to happen either right now this looks like a micro trench on a on a good road right i mean this is like a pretty well Mm -hmm. maintained road it looks like yeah um uh do we have any photos from from roger of of i can i have some some. anywhere the address is legible so we can just drop by kim's place sometime oh the the, the pictures from louisville are just amazingly hard well well, that was actually like nano trenching right and that was sort of an experimental thing yeah, um, but do let you, me ask. Do you want me to email them to you, Chris, or how do you I, want me to give them to you? Yeah, let me. Um, well, you should email them to Rye and Henry. If you just respond okay. to the invite and just blast them there, then um, they'll take care of them. Um, I gotcha. And um, Travis, how are you reacting to this? I mean, I assume that this is something that you haven't just evaluated, but you have time and time again come back to to see how it's changed and things like that. You know, this was an interesting concept eight years ago. It's as Doug and Kim alluded to, I mean, the practical application of this, yes, if if you want to run across property you own and you're going to control, sure, it might be an, an interesting approach. But to run up and down every road in every city, first off, remember, there's different divisions in most cities and your street division. The last thing, just even trying to get them to approve doing this. And then how do you get from the road to the house? So now you got to drip, you know, you got to saw through the concrete um, curb to get up there and the repair. I, I just don't, at least in the applications we've worked in, the public right of way is the perfect place to put conduit. It's easy to work in, it's easy to repair, easy to dig down. Um, doing ads, moves, and changes is relatively easy. So I don't really, how much do you really save in the long term here? And quite frankly, when the internet's down, you can't tell people it's going to be a week or two before you're back up and running. I mean, just even telling them it's going to be an hour or two, they just lose, they just lose the plot. 
you Travis, know, when you say the right of way, just explain for a second what people, what that is. Well, so, and, and again, and this is particularly talking about the experiences I have in, in cities I've worked in is the, usually it's the space between the curb and either the sidewalk or 10 to 12 feet into the front of somebody's yard. Now, 99% of the people have no idea that the yard, that the, the yard they've been taking care of mowing, shoveling, whatever they've been doing for all these years actually doesn't belong to them. But for the most part, there is public right away in most parts of the major in the cities we've worked in. Now, Doug and Kim might talk very rarely if we run into a place where we can't use the public right away to, to serve a customer. Minneapolis has the Minneapolis Park Board, which blocks all underground utilities on it. So there's a few people in Minneapolis that we are unable to serve, but everybody else we can get to. And I, I, I wouldn't micro trench. I mean, it, you just don't save enough money to make it worthwhile. From our the, the issue you run into, you're alluding to, Travis, in every city, there are some streets that the city doesn't control. Almost every city has private streets. Yeah. Where some, somebody, you know, the housing, the house people put their own streets in, even in the middle of a big city. So you get this real mix of private streets, city yep. streets, state streets, federal streets. All, you know, all running, and, and each one of those has a different set of rules. It's a nightmare to get this thing done. And, so. and I don't know about you, Doug, but the private streets we have in Minneapolis have been the easiest to get approved. I I have had, well, you would not for this yeah. micro-trenching. There's some of oh, no, they, no, 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 they no. pay for their own roads, and they're yeah. going, you're not going to cut my concrete. I can promise no, no, no. you. <laughs> I think Kim's trying their, to jump in. Their, use their right-of-way. It's been really easy because 80% yeah. of the houses want fiber internet, so you just go, well, we're going to go down your road there. Do you mind? Right. Uh, everyone signs yep i do love oh. that my face is um my face is still but i can see all of you and everybody oh, else is moving except me <laughs> you're, you're frozen and at least it's not in an embarrassing position that's good <laughs> <laughs> i'm frozen but i you're not all frozen, I'm just frozen <laughs> on my yeah I, I like roger's point you know um, unless there's absolutely no other way to do it right i, I would consider it um, but when we went to the city of Minneapolis and said, Hey, we want a micro trench, we went to the roads. They're like, yeah, that's not happening. I mean, we're looking at a road right now. That's going down on one side. There's a cliff that falls off a hundred feet on the other side. It goes straight into a federal park and, and, and there's absolutely no shoulder. Micro trenching is going to be the only option on that road. Th that's rare. That's the first time I think we've ever had that. So and Kim, what are we looking at here? Um, wow. That is, yeah, that is right in front of my, uh, on the corner. Wow, look at that. What um, a disaster. Like, yeah, that the, the road was legit, just crumbling. And they left that there for weeks um, wow. after it, it was, they did it. And now you just watched it and you're like, oh gosh. And there's and there's no yeah. easy fix in that. That's a destroyed road. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's going to have pothole problems for the rest of life. Now the so, argument, yeah. the argument though, is that, if we allowed micro trenching, we'd have a lot more competition. Now, I feel like we've we've addressed this a little bit sideways and saying, well, maybe one more entity would come in, um, but it probably wouldn't be very reliable service. Um, but I think we're about to see sci-fi um, experiment with um, all kinds of of micro trenching because that's their main method of ex execution, from what I can tell. And they're claiming that they're doing six cities with twenty-four more on the way or something like that. Yeah, but what's their rationale? Is it just purely they're trying to save a few dollars? I believe so, yes. So you're building a 100-year asset and cheaping out on the front end. That makes sense. 
That's a good way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it will be interesting to see if they can deploy it because I think they're saying it's easier to deploy so they can get into and connect people faster, but it's faster, better if the um, infrastructure doesn't last as long. Yeah, you sort of wonder, I mean, like, you get to the point where you're like, all right, well, you got the customers hooked up. Now let's immediately build our new network properly <laughs> with that money we're making. It seemed like maybe the numbers will work out all that well. <laughs> it seems how we always go back to the same thing. It's kind of the 25-3 conversation. Fund all these companies to build these networks that you basically have to redo in three to four years. Microtrenching is the fiber equivalent in my eyes. So I think it's there... going to be. I think it's going to be. I think, Travis, you're absolutely right. But we're not looking at 20 years down the road. These programs are they say they're looking at 20 years down the road. But are they? They're really just looking at the trying to stop the digital divide today. And I don't think it's really going to work either way. I think you're failing on both fronts. Yeah, my, my concern is that with capital so cheap and these companies getting rolled up at such high EBITDA multiples, that we're going to have people trying to slam in anything they can slam in, get revenue, because they're going to sell, they're going to sell their company off and, and make a fortune. So that that's so here, that, so and they're that, and they're going to and they're going to sell it to, to vulture capitalists who don't yep. really care about the business. So yeah, so now there's nobody in charge of your ISP. Right? Here's the thing that to me seems like one of the most accurate predictions that we've had in terms of the way things really work. Mm -hmm. It comes from Travis. Travis, remind us how many days of college you had. You know, I don't like to brag, you know, but nine in, in a row, just in a row, though. I want to be clear, you know. Right. So I just I want to say that, like, you're like, I don't think there's a single business professor in this country that understands what you just described, which is what is inevitably going to happen right now. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly what's happening right now. There's all these dollars getting pumped out, you know, money's super cheap. Private equity is super interested in the space right now. And you, you know exactly what's going to happen. Slap out a network, get a bunch of EBITDA going, and sell it and go live on the beach. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, that's what... Buy the beach. So yeah, 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 buy the beach, yeah. <laughs> I mean, things are selling for 20 to 28 times multiples. It's unbelievable. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. So, and then in California, I think we're going to see... Go ahead, Kim. We're trying to jump in. I was just going to say, so Travis, when are you retiring if you could sell your company for so much money? Well, then what do you do? That's the biggest problem. You know, what do you, what do, you do tomorrow? I won't get invited back to connect this. You know. <laughs> connect this? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, pre I'm pretty sure that you, you could completely buy the rights to this show. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> if, if Travis wasn't on this show, there wouldn't be a show. Well, you just, it's, it's, what is the, it's the, it's back to school, Chris. It's that same old. Rodney Dangerfield, that's right. Learning that's where track. we bonded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is I think you're going to see a lot of these dollars go to subpar networks that are just, a, I call it a publisher clearinghouse check play. You know, guys, people that are just wanting to make big multiples quick. But, you know, that being said, I, I, I honestly, I'm surprised you brought micro trenching up. I kind of thought it died a few years ago. I'm actually kind of no, no. There's like, I mean, that's there's legislation in California, I believe, that would force cities to allow it. 
And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see that elsewhere, too, because elected officials are vulnerable to this idea that, well, cities are just too protective. They don't understand that we can do this safely now. Da, 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 da. Um, you know, I mean, in my mind, it's it's also the sort of thing where I'm like, it's freaking 2021. I bet the Romans could have figured out how to do micro trenching with their mastery of of concrete. Why can't we? And so you kind of believe, oh, probably the cities are over or unreasonable with their concrete policies and this and that. So probably we should let these guys micro trench will have broadband competition everywhere it'll be great um but yeah, I, have, I think it, i have a little little hint for you or a little statement directional drilling works really well and the and the product you have at the end of it is exceptional aerial works it works you know in aerial you can at least maintain but when you start dealing in the streets you know, good luck with that well, that's. I think Travis. Yeah, I was going to say this. Yeah, Travis how, and how, I agree I mean, how do you, fix, how do you fix a fiber? Hold on. Sorry, let, let him go. Yeah, go ahead. I said, I said, I feel I, me and Travis actually agree on something. I think directional um, boring and drilling is the way to go. And I usually say that cities are the ones who think it's the right way because they're protecting their roads, they're protecting, you know, their residents. But now Travis and I, we can hug it out now since we agree on something because a private company has told me that they agree with directional boring as well. Well, and the thing is, worst case that happens is you use these dollars, you directional bore conduit in, you have conduit in the ground. So even if the company yeah. abandons it or gets sold off to somebody else, that asset is invaluable. So you know, I, actually, that does remind me. I mean, there is, I, I would say that like uh, my friends at um, a Duraline would probably um, be furious with me if I didn't know that you can actually micro trench like four conduits and you you can you can put like a micro trench that has multiple conduits in. So sure. uh, that's not impossible if you did want to um, do it in a certain way, but it suffers from all the other problems that we've talked about. So, Chris, are, are we done with the micro trench conversation? Or I think so. Go ahead. Yeah. Because I think we play this telecom peekaboo, but I'd like to play Chris Mitchell peekaboo. You know, we were watching TV the other night, and this very handsome man came up on the screen. So I had to take a snapshot, and I don't know, Henry, if you have it where we could share it, but who is this and what is he doing? That wow. person is wow. has a very big camera right behind the bench of the female volleyball volleyball players. He might be getting in trouble. Yes, uh, yes, that that is Mr. Mitchell and his side job. You're you're not just a broadband uh, preacher. You're also a aficionado of the camera, correct? Yeah. If you go down, you'll okay. see I'm protecting my knees because I'm very I'm very particular, and so I'm wearing knee pads. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Travis, like, were you just staring at the TV and you had to go back? Did you have to rewind, like, scroll back to get this picture? Or? Well, I'm like, I'm like, hang on. Well, so Chris mentioned he was going to be at the game, so I happened to have it on TV, and I'm like, wow, he, oh, there he is. So, yes, I rewound and the I rewound my VCR and I was able to get a shot of him. So, yes. <laughs> now here, here's what's freaky. I actually recorded this one, so I can go back and look. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's right. So actually, the Maryland uh, sports information um, uh, yeah. uh, person uh, is a former Gopher. So I was talking with him before the game. Um, well, sent him a few. Sent him a few photos. I, I, well, I just want to ask the question of how come your hair in that picture doesn't have any gray in it? <laughs> <laughs> how did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm digging this out. So for people who want um, to see if I'm any good at it, here we go. Um, you can uh, go here to uh, see the um, 
Um, probably, I'm not going to type all that in, but like you can go to the Gopher galleries and see the 30 images I put up as highlights there. It was a nice. pretty fun okay, game. So, so Doug, it's called Just for Men. It's like a hair dye that ah. you can just apply. Yeah. Just it's actually a up. filter that I asked him to put on the cameras. Well, I think, the, I think he has the one that's called Just for Games. It's just you know, temporary. <laughs> So that was so Chris, while we're, Chris Mitchell well, Peekaboo, huh? There you go. <laughs> and while we're off topic, I just want to say I got a brand new shirt. Aha. Uh -huh. Oh. So I'm gonna, one of our rivals, uh, the broadband bunch from ETI Software. Um, I guess, Travis, you and I got to do shirts now. So. Oh, I only do black. That's a good looking shirt. Yeah. Kim, we're not going to do next week until we get a shirt. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We're, All right. we're, no, we're protesting now. <laughs> we'll, we'll turn into a fundraiser. Um, I'll I'll send you a quote, Doug, and I'll send you a tie-dyed um, uh, connect this shirt. Excellent. Excellent. I will I will there's wear a, it for sure. So. There's an amazing uh, company in St. Paul that does great printing, Rebel Ink printing. So I'd be very happy to to work that through. Um, so digital redlining was our last topic, I believe. Um, this is something we've touched on a little bit before, but um, I was just, I was talking with a friend who's an analyst and said something that I really agree with. And, and I will say that I'm deeply concerned about the practice in which, um, uh, I guess I would say the way we've organized broadband in that it really encourages that low-income communities are left behind. But I also just don't like the framing around it. Um, in that, um, uh, you know, we, I always think of the state of Ohio, the state of Ohio says to AT&T, we've decided that we want you to be able to build wherever you want. AT&T says, awesome. <laughs> you know, we're going to build to the place where we make the most money. And now we're going to shame AT&T for following the rules. Um, I think we need better rules typically. And so, you know, there's a discussion about that, but I don't like the idea of, of this, like of us, of us like basically getting rid of the rules that protected uh, smarter investments and then attacking companies for taking advantage of them. Um, and I've been talking for too much, but I'll come back to this in a, in a little bit after I get a reaction from some other folks. I have a whole analogy that works with it. I'll go first. The, the problem is we've got it, the ability to enforce it. There's a lot of cities who tried to say you can only build everywhere or nowhere at all, but in a lot of cases, the states have overridden them. And so you know, cities don't, a lot of cities don't have the power to enforce all or nothing. And so then once you don't, once you can't afford that, once you can't fix that, then people come in and build just to where they feel like. They don't always build to the richest. Some, some ISPs just come in and build the cheapest, you know, the easiest construction. But the fact is, the fact is that when you don't build the whole city, there's neighborhoods that are left out and there, and then nobody else can ever make sense out of fixing the rest of it. So those neighborhoods probably never get fiber. And that's the really problem so travis loves making the point it's a dumb isp that only builds the richest what you want to do right. is build like the middle 75 right. probably I, i'm absolutely not a fan of that the richest are actually the probably the worst investment in the whole city so yep you are it's because they're rich for a reason well no the, because there's only five <laughs> there's only five houses per block I and mean, it's just it's not a, and half of them don't subscribe it's really not a it's really not a good investment at all usually so well, and that's the reality is, is, is everyone thinks it's purely economic. It's all about demand for the service. And right. we have found kind of that middle, the, the middle, middle tier, the very wealthy and, and the very economically challenged just don't have a demand for broadband. And well, and I, I'm, 
Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to put in my plug, and I, Chris, we talked about this the other day, but the only really way to end digital redlining is to start a city-owned network, because a city, and if you believe it's infrastructure, then if it's infrastructure, you have to provide it to all the residents, and not just where the economics make sense. So, I mean, we all know where I stand since I work for a governmental agency. <laughs> well, I have to put in a plug that says, that sort of disagrees with something Travis said earlier, because he made fun of the last grant program, <laughs> but I have several client cities who are using that money to fill in the gaps in the digital divide. So that, you know, that's a very legitimate use of these grant funds is to go to those poor neighborhoods with it. Uh, and so, and they may turn around and hand that off to an ISP to operate, but at least those folks get fiber. So are they, uh, are they, are they like a major NFL city or? Are they oh, no, 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 not at all. More, yeah. more of the cities of 10 and 20 and 30,000 homes. Yeah. That, yeah. And I, I think those, you know, my traveling around, I think those cities have politically a much easier time than say a city the size of Minneapolis. I mean, we will we will get no help from any government entity, state, federal, county, earth, you know, galaxy, and it doesn't matter where these you know, we have we have to do it on our own. Well, I think you have to wait until Utopia gets there. So yeah, well, but the thing is, is that you can do a little, <laughs> you, can, you can do a little bit at a time. I mean, the thing is, is it's the uptake just takes longer. That's what right. the, it isn't that there is no demand. It's just you're not going to get a 50% market share in 36 months. You might only get a 25% market share, but that's okay. Well, it let was, me let me say that. Get there. Let's ignore for a second that even if the emergency broadband benefit is turned into a so-called permanent program, uh, let's ignore for a fact that it might run out of money because it certainly could happen. But if we had a permanent program at $30 a month, uh, do you think, Doug, that, for instance, Metronet would stop ignoring the lower income parts of town and believe that in several years they would have a much more reasonable take rate? Um, how much does just making sure that families have more money uh, help to resolve this? No. And the reason they won't is because nobody in their right mind is going to believe it's permanent get a change of administration and a change in Congress and that permanent thing disappears. That A program like that is going to be the top of everyone's get rid of the program list for the next 40 years. And so it's never going to be safe. So you, And if you can't rely on it, then you don't, then you just pretend it's not there. So the, on top of that, I don't think that'll change their mind. It, you know, there's a lot of ISPs are like, I'm not messing with government money. I'm not going to apply for these subsidies. And so it's just, you know, I don't think it changes much at all, unfortunately. So. And on yeah, top of that, on top of that, broadband's going to, you know, Comcast and Charter are going to drive prices up to $100. Whoopee, 30 bucks off of that. Aren't we going great? So. Yeah. Well, um, I'll be curious. Maybe we should make a bet on that. Um, Ooh, let's let's chicken wings. Yeah. I mean, well, I, we can't bet for chicken wings because they're. <laughs> yeah. There's supply chain issues. Didn't we already talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, this would be a long-term bet. I mean, it'd have to be like, um, you know, by January 1st, 2024, will they have driven up to uh, $100? What's the time frame, Doug? Well, that's actually a bet. I'll take that in a second because in a, in a, there's places where Comcast is already at $92 for raw internet. So this is an easy bet. <laughs> well, okay. So, I mean, I think we'd have to come up with based on the work that you do. Like oh, I'll average. No, yeah, that gets harder because of the specials and the, the this and that and the other thing. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what the trouble is nobody knows what happens in a bundle. Those bundles are always going to nag us. I think the price, I think it's in there. I just don't, we can't 
find it. So, yeah. Okay. I think, Doug, you're also worried because I think we all thought I had a very safe bet in February. And now we all know that I'm going to be paying some chicken wings. <laughs> Which might only be like three chicken wings per visit, apparently. Ah, Chris, the trivia though is there's not really a there's a lot they're double the price of that last year. So we <laughs> so, Still yeah. a smart investment. I mean, I would pay for them at 10x. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the thing that I, I mean, this is this the, the one of the things I feel about, like that I get frustrated about. And I mean, it's weird for me to be defending AT&T, but like I always come back to, you know, we live in a society in which we're supposed to set the rules. And I view companies like AT&T, Charter Spectrum is like they're like tigers, you know, out there and they're going to rip your face off if you give them a chance. And that's why we need to have rules that protect the people who visit the zoo from the animals that they go to see. And then we have politicians that let the zookeepers run out among the people. And it's like, do you blame the tiger for taking advantage of being let out of the cage around a bunch of, uh, a bunch of people? No, like, it's not, that's the nature of the tiger. And I feel like this idea of like, well, let's just deregulate. And I mean, we go back to Texas or not Texas. I was thinking of Florida um, where you have uh, AT&T goes to the legislature and says, you know, it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool if after a hurricane, we didn't have to rebuild. And the, te- and the Florida legislature, including the governor are like, yes. That is smart. That is really a good idea. <laughs> and then a hurricane comes six months later and everyone's on TV saying, I can't believe AT&T. How could they not rebuild? This is atrocious. Like, and that's the sort of stuff I just hate. That posturing is just ridiculous. We need to set good rules. I mean, monopolies are going to be monopolies. And so if you, and, and they will bribe their way to anything. And so they always get their way if you don't have ironclad rules. So every time, not at once in a while, every time. And that's, let's get back to that. I mean, I'll bring Kim back into it where like, I feel like Kim and I are probably pretty much on the same wavelength in that um, we're not expecting the rules to be good given the kind of corruption in the system that we have. And so that's why we're so strong of cities building the network because then they can set the rules. They're not dependent on the state or the federal government to, um, to be smart when it comes to AT&T or um, Charter Spectrum or Comcast lobbying. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Chris. I mean, campaign donations speak a lot. And if you don't have campaign donations involved in the decisions, smarter decisions get made. Not to say that city officials don't get some uh, campaign donations, but they're not nearly at the level as some of the federal government um, and the state legislators now, are. Now we have to worry that city officials are going to be talking to micro-trenching. This is never going to end, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> so... We did miss a good comment, um, which uh, was um, a friend from San Francisco who's in a position to know who says uh, microtrenching is far more for small cell networks than uh, broadband, at least in San Francisco. And um, um, I'm sorry, I didn't see that when it first came out, but very relevant, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot more sense because Travis had the great point of, you know, every house you have to also go through the curb, you know, so if, for small cells, that's way less of a problem. So, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about micro-trenching, like if you need to run a backbone through the downtown corridor where you're not going to do any drops, you're not going to do any ad drops off the, off the, maybe, maybe it would work there. But, you know, one thing that Doug said that resonates, you know, you guys are always talking about government taking care of this problem, but what happens today when let's say the city of St. Paul has a very, they're super excited about building this network and then none of those people get reelected in four years and then the project's just dead. You know, there's, I, I think that's very relevant here. You know, because these networks, I mean, it's, they're big, they're complicated to run, they require a lot of maintenance, a lot of brake fix. And if you don't have the support on the long term, how do, how do you plan on well, running? 
Yeah, Kim, well, go ahead. I think that's yeah. I think that's where Utopia has done a really good job of our. We have two boards, um, and it's like city managers. It, we try to not to politicize it at all. So city managers are going to be a long term employment usually, and not they don't politicize the decisions. Uh, which I think we've done a really incredible job of taking the politics of out of building the Utopia Fiber Network. Should they do yep. they do they report to like a city? Do you guys report to like a city council or a governor or a mayor or something? So the board the board members are usually affiliated with the city, and I mean they their city they get input from their city, but for the most part, um, they get to make the call that is best for the organization. But one thing that is different about Utopia is their their input or their vote is dependent on their city size too. So like we have 11 members of our board, the Utopia board, and we have cities as big as West Valley, who is the second biggest city in Utah, um, down to little t tiny cities called like Tremont. But West Valley has a bigger share of the votes um, because they have more like financial risk. But, but I think the, the safety in that is when you have that many different cities voting, they're not likely to go do something political or stupid. They're going to talk unless they're all somehow bribed. I mean, safety in numbers is a really good feature as well. So, yeah. well, do you, do you have your own P&L then? I mean, are you operating under some government controlled financing or can you operate independently? We are a interlocal agency in the state of Utah, Travis. Don't you know what we're made of? Like how, our, our forming documents? Come on. In those nine it's, days, it's, he didn't it's, focus on interlocal uh, agencies. What that means, so yes, okay. <laughs> he knew that. He, he knew that. He just didn't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious if, if how it would work. Like if you're the city of, let's, I don't know, pick a city, Denver, Colorado. You know, are, is this going to be the... IT department that would roll out these these networks, or is this an independent? Ah, uh, see now you're now you're talking. That's the, yeah. that's the first in Denver. That's the first three to four year fight, just deciding which department it is. And I'm not kidding you. Really? No, I believe you. And this is actually like, I think it's very important. Like like for people who may not um, understand this, like IT is not building networks. <laughs> IT oh. may be managing certain kinds of aspects of some networks, but like building and operating a, a commercial fiber optic network is not a job for IT typically. No, no. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, IT yeah. basically orders from CenturyLink or Comcast to circuit. That's all they do. They're not going to build outside of the street. So it, it, it's interesting. I, I'm just curious how it, how it works. Well, and those, this is, I, mean, I wanted to jump in for a second because like, when you're in multi-city, it's one thing. One of the things that I really encourage um, to the extent that anyone listens to me about this, which is very rare because it's Jug's job typically to give this advice, um, is that I would say the cities want to build a network that is um, insulated from day-to-day -day politics is the way I say it. And a way to do that that we've seen in, from 100 years of electric experience with cities is you have a board. And you have staggered terms so that if you have a sudden change in city council, they might be able to shift one or two people on the board of that organization. But that board is insulated from the kind of day-to-day -day politics that happens. And that's a really smart thing to do for anything that has a long life. Absolutely, Chris. I mean, that's the only way you're going to get these networks built. And I agree with you, Travis, too, that we hear all the time at, at Utopia that we'll hear from cities and they're like, well, we put our IT guy in charge of figuring out what network to build and how to build it. And you're like, the IT guy just feels overwhelmed and doesn't go anywhere with it because they have no what, no, no idea what to do. <laughs> well, my, my, my experience with government has been is if they don't have somebody to call and yell at, 
they're not, you know, when, when you have only yourself to call and yell at, if something is not working, that's where the whole problem kind of falls apart. So I guess I was just, and I don't know if Kim noticed this with Utopia, but what we noticed in Minneapolis, when we got to about 5,000 subscribers on the fiber network, the political issues all disappeared because the, the really the conversation was, well, what do you want me to tell all these other I always call them taxpayers. That kind of irritates them, but um, you know, they're, they're they're constituents. You know, uh, what do you want me to tell the other constituents that want this? But you're 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 in the way, and then that 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 knocked a lot of roadblocks down. Yeah, I mean, after Utopia became operationally break even, and we had a pathway to build out the original eleven cities, a lot of the all the games and complaining kind of stopped. Um, okay. But in the beginning, when you were like, what city's gonna get built first? What neighborhood's gonna build first? Yeah. Um, there were a lot of people who tried to politicize it, um, okay. but we do not see that anymore. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the early years of Utopia were quite an ugly mess, but they got over it, so. Uh, <laughs> no, Travis, yet, Travis, yet again, it's when they hired me. Haven't we gone over this before? Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious, Doug, because you think about these things. I think this is, some cities have started having CTOs, chief, technical officers or chief technology officers. I think technical is more common. Um, that is a, a person that is more likely to be involved at this sort of a thing. Is that right? I don't view them all that differently than the, than hmm. the IT department. So, you know, the fact is, you know, the only cities who really do this right have an electric utility. The other cities have, a, not, not, there are a few who don't have electric utilities who do a good job, but it's, they almost had to create a brand new utility because you need to put engineers and, and guys and trucks and cherry pickers in charge of it, not anybody from the city organization. And so, so I, I don't normally see any city, actual city, city people having anything to do with any successful network. It just well, doesn't think, work that way. So yeah. the two examples I come up with immediately are um, Fairlawn, Ohio and Sandy, Oregon. Sandy, Oregon did what you just said. Basically, they built a whole new utility effectively. Hillsborough, Oregon uh, is one. I think they're effectively doing that now. They're quite large, but also quite wealthy in ways that a number of other larger cities are not. Um, Hillsborough is a suburb of um, Portland for folks who aren't familiar. And it's quite wealthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're going to see more and more cities embracing the kind of model that that Utopia has in part because um, they will be able to uh, get by with doing less of some of the kind of stuff that chart that you know Travis has specialized in. But how does you know we talk about these cities, but how do residents of I don't know, let's pick a city, Los Angeles, get this service? You know, we, we talk about these small, I guess small cities. We never really mentioned the big ones. Just, are they just left out of the conversation? They're always left out. Because yeah, no, no big city is going to do this on their own. It's never going to happen. So. Because it's too political. Big cities There's another bet. out of their own way. There's a bet. Who do you think it's going to be? That's a better bet. Go ahead, Kim. I totally agree with where you're going, Kim. The cities can't get yeah. out of their own way. They, they, they can't get out of their own way. Like The smaller cities can get through these things, and they make these networks happen because they, they don't get into the political let me speak shit show that's out there um yeah. unlike yeah unlike the big cities and all the lobbying efforts from a big city to do this would just be tremendous yeah the lobbying even if the lobbying's not there i mean this is what i've observed from a couple of the larger cities right let's say a situation in which either a city council or more likely a mayor comes in 
and they're hot to trot on this. Uh, one of the first things that happens is somebody who has no experience doing this gets put in charge of it because they're well-connected. They're a friend of the mayor or they're, they're someone who's done something and somehow people think that they'll be good at it. And they come in and they maybe bring Doug in or one of Doug's rivals, um, the other consultants, and they have a report. And then one of the first things they do is they're like, ah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I work for this city. <laughs> I'm not gonna listen to Doug. He wears tie dye shirts. <laughs> and then they are then they hired the other consultant and they tell him the same thing and then they just shelf it. I mean there yeah. were three three mayors in a row in Seattle who ran on building broadband network. Three of them in a row. Yeah, and like one of them, I mean, like one of the first things they did was they basically commissioned a study and they set the parameters of the study to ensure that the network was was designed in a way that no one would ever design a network because it was <laughs> insanely expensive. I mean, it was basically like, what if we just like spent a lot of money on equipment that nobody would use? And it turns out that if you do build a network that way, it's uneconomical. And then they said, oh, we really wanted to do it, but it's uneconomical. Sorry. Um, I mean, but that's the sort of thing is that like you deal with that. There's Comcast and CenturyLink and the other companies are in there in Seattle. But even if they weren't, I still think this 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 approach in which someone's friend gets put in charge of it. And then there's like the person who actually has been working on it for five years and is you know, interested in it, they're buried four levels deep in the bureaucracy and they never get to actually like inform anyone of what would be a rational plan. So is it, is it and just uh, let's speak. Oh, go ahead, Kim. Well, I was going to say, let's speak that a mayor can come in and say whatever they want, but they really need the support of the city council. Like a mayor. Yeah, can it depends on the city, <laughs> I mean, like yeah. in, in Minneapolis, I think um, I'm trying to remember Minneapolis is a stronger mayor. I think so, St. Paul is, um, I mean, the mayor, they can pretty much um, stampede the city council if they need to. And in some cities and other cities, the mayor's has much less power, but um, I think it really varies based on the state and the city. Fair enough. Fair enough. So are, are we just saying that the top 40 cities in this country will never get? No, I don't think so. I think we're going to see something. I'm more, I'm much more um, um, positive yeah. about this than Doug is. Um, 50 so. cities, top 50. You know, if we say NFL, we're terms. talking top 35, 40. So yeah, I, I just don't see any of them ever pulling the trigger. We'll see. What are the what are the what are we talking about? A full citywide fiber to the home network? Are we talking about anything like yeah. you know like okay, full citywide home fiber to home network? Like the term is going to have to be crazy for this bet because even if you wanted to do it in LA and you started today and you had like what one point five two billion dollars, it still take you ten years, fifteen years, right? Right. right. Yeah, but but if somebody is, starts, so we can call them as. If know, somebody well, starts to build yeah. that and they have and they've got all the money, that's a victory. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we're going to be on Connect This in 2030, talking about this bet again. Well, <laughs> let's see. Well, you know, it's. We're talking about this digital. I'll be 76. I, I think I I'll try. Aren't these, large, <laughs> aren't these large cities where the the big issue is? Right. That's where it's not just red line. It's not red line. It's it's a hundred thousand people red line. I mean, that's where yeah, the thing. Well, so I mean, like I mean, right. if a city, let's just say, like I mean, there's some things that are going on. Doug, you're probably even more aware of them than I am, and just being quiet about it. But like, how about a city that builds out municipal fiber to public housing and connects fifty, sixty thousand people um, that way? Oh, the whole bunch of that's going to happen with all this ARPA money. That's going to happen a lot. Yeah. Ooh, oh, I bet. I bet it. Let's bet. Because I think what's going to happen is the cable companies are going to end up with the vast majority of it. Oh, they may turn around and hand that fiber to the cable yeah. company, but the city's going to pay for it, and that way they're going to ensure that that it gets done. 
So, which yeah. that is a brilliant. That's a brilliant idea. Let's use taxpayers' dollars and just hand an asset to a public company because that's a great idea. We've seen it in a couple of places. That's for sure. Oh yeah, we have seen it. Yeah. Ooh, I'll I'll bet you all chicken wings. That's what happens. So, well, maybe no, they'll hand it. Maybe they'll what? hand it. Maybe they'll hand it to you, Travis. That's going to happen in some places, well, Travis. But like the. The question they is, need, they need how many? results and they need it quick. And the cable and telcos are in all these buildings already, right? You know, even even us or Kimberly, you know, she she has a build cost and a build timeline that doesn't meet the the need. You know, well, I think some of these. So here's the thing. First of all, here's the thing. How often do I say that? Um, like, we're seeing cities start to get educated on this now, right? I mean, like major cities in which um they've been saying how it's important it is for all this time and yet they still don't know anything about it. doug you you talk to cities right how often do you run into a major city where you would expect that they would have a good sense of what's going on and they don't know the difference between a lack of availability and a, a, a service that's too high pretty um, much every time <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing is that like i think yeah. part of this is like the people like me need to get off of screwing around with their friends on online on 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 television shows and need to focus on educating the cities because the cities are still trying to they don't know the basic stuff that we've been talking about for 15 years but but what are you going to what are you going to educate them on i'm going to educate them on how to actually solve this problem in the long term and that if you just give money to the cable companies which we've seen elsewhere that it doesn't actually result in serving the population that you once served but if but if I'm running for if I'm running for city council or I'm running for mayor, how big of a, how big of a topic is this? How big of a problem? Well, that's, is this? I mean, Travis, you and I have talked about this before. That crime is going to determine yeah. the the races, and not whether or not like there's putting money into into areas. I mean, we've talked about this before. In Minneapolis, there's there's not a single person on the council who believes that if they do something on broadband, they would get another vote. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So, so that, so that's the. And that's another reason why I don't think. Oh. Sorry, um, that that's why you know we, we talk about this, but you know I can see a lot of success in these smaller towns, but I'm always just curious what's you know if you're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you're in a low income neighborhood, what are the odds of you getting gigabit symmetrical fiber to the home? Within the next ten years, I think decent. Oh, I, I'm taking the bet. I'll yeah, Chris, you are very optimistic today. Very optimistic. Today. <laughs> I, I, I'll even give them ten to one on Pittsburgh. How's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just go go down. Yeah, go down the NFL, right? And just go right. down the list. Well, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has seven bridges, and it's all rock, and and the poles are terrible. It's not a good place to build fiber. All right, Denver, Colorado, <laughs> Los Angeles, San Diego. You know, I mean. Yeah, right. I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see incremental efforts in these places where we have strategic people. I think there's going to be a shift. I think there's there's like these shifts, and and one of the things that happens is just that like the people who are scared about this and don't get it and aren't intimidated, they're retiring, and some younger people come in in some of these places. They're more aggressive, and yeah, I don't think they're going to bond and, and build out the entire city, but I think they're going to be like, you know, like for instance, let's just say that like. Um, um city of um like salt lake city which is a bad example because i already have one but if um um if a city like salt lake city that's nearby another provider and they're like hey like you know we'll um we'll pay you to come in and, and to build this out and to operate it for us i can see that happening um you know i i really do think that that this is something that's important enough to voters that it's going to be an issue and and eventually we'll see um, a shift on it in elected officials. Not well, everywhere. 
But okay, so let's let's get Kim in here and ask her: Is Salt Lake a hundred percent covered with fiber to, right now? Not with Utopia Fiber, but I'm um, supposedly with another fiber provider. But I have no idea what their maps really look like. Okay, I can't trust Kim. Yeah. She stopped blinking an hour ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's mesmerizing. It's truly mesmerizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. I, I'm like I was. I'm so glad that my mouth wasn't a gate. <laughs> Kim's actually wandering to the airport in the food court right now, <laughs> taking advantage. <laughs> but Kim, I mean, like, what? I mean, like in Salt Lake City, do you see like? Because I mean, like this provider, um, even if they are serving 100% of the area, um, do you see the city of Salt Lake making investments into lower income neighborhoods and that changing the dynamic some? No, not really. I don't think they would. So, I think they were gonna they're gonna rely heavily on that provider to say they should make investment in the low income areas. Because I mean, the dynamic that I think will develop in some areas more than more than just a few is that the city will start off by serving low income areas, and then others will say, "Hey, wait a minute! Like, why are they getting the benefit and I'm not? Like, let's let's expand this because, like Doug is projecting, things are only going to get worse." And I fundamentally believe that as we approach $100 from the cable companies, there will be more and more pressure on city governments. We've already seen a shift over the past five years in terms of people being like, let's just get it done. We just need to do something. And I think that's what we're going to reverberate through. Yeah. Well, there, are, yeah, there is one I mean, dynamic yeah. in your favor of your argument, and that once a city starts serving anybody, the pressure to serve everybody starts building. Uh, so absolutely. That, that, and that's I absolutely. And I think, he, like, I live in Salt Lake, so maybe that was a bad example for you to say Salt Lake, because I think the politics wouldn't fly there. But in other major cities, like you were talking about, I can see that happening, where you have a very high low-income population. Kim, so, I, I don't see. know Salt Lake as well. My sense of Salt Lake is that it's quite conservative, but it's also quite care for your neighbor. And so it I'm is. kind of curious. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my neighbor still mows my grass and we haven't figured out why if I'm just a really crappy um, <laughs> a lawn, um, main, maintaining my lawn. But uh, yeah, no, it's very much that way. But I don't like the politics of where the money is going to go. Like, do they think that broadband is the most important investment when there's so much else that we need to work on, like homeless or whatnot? Mm -hmm. I just don't yeah. think it rises to the top of the list. All right. So yeah. I will bet you, Chris. In the next year, there will be exactly zero major metropolitan areas in the country that have an initiative to bring broadband to low-income neighborhoods. Okay. So we're going to say by September. I'll take that 30th. bet. Buffalo's already doing it. I'm not, I'm talking to everybody, not just picking off a few MDUs. Okay. I'm talking up and oh. down every street. Oh, so, no, 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 no. But Buffalo was tackling. Oh, you just said tackling the poor neighborhoods. They're yeah, but you can't tackle it like what, like two percent of it. I'm talking the whole thing. Well, um, I would say let's keep an eye on, on Baltimore. I think are, there are, are major cities. The red lined then. What is the next level of? No, I, I think. I mean, I think. And I think part of this is also a question of, I mean, part of the work that I do is trying to like, how do we engage philanthropy? Because that's another piece that comes into this, which is if a city says, whoa, like we have to act now because we have this opportunity to like do this thing and, and philanthropy is going to really help move it. 
then it's a different thing. And I do think, I mean, it's not up and down every street, but I think there's neighborhoods in Baltimore that over the next several years will see a significant um, benefit. I think it will be through some kind of municipal investment. I don't know if it'll be a partner or not. Um, I think there's other major cities that have significant poverty. I mean, cities that may, may not mean we may not consider major because of the uh, amount of people that have left there, but cities that have a significant um, in neighborhoods that have been left behind, I think we're going to see both partnerships and municipal investment in ways that we have not seen before to get them connected. And it's not just giving money to an existing cable company. I, I, I've I, predicted all along that we're going to have major, I, I believe the flaws, I think we're going to see nonprofit and co-ops in the poor neighborhoods in a lot of cities. I think that's, I, I, I need think to that's add, it. I need to I need to ask a question and it's very serious. So you ready for this? Um, I think we need to connect this with, to recap all the bets that have gone on on just this <laughs> podcast. Well, well, I mean, we're, we're, we have to, we have to, I think we've only had one serious bet. Um, you know, we have to be very careful about the terms and everything else. And I'm, I'm interested, maybe Travis and I, <laughs> Travis and I can hash out this and like, we'll, we'll cement it in the next well, show next weekend. Well, why don't we need a board? All you need is a board behind you where we can write them down. So every show people can see the yeah. outstanding bets. Yeah. Right. There will be billions of dollars if, the, if all these programs, right? I mean, how many bazillions of dollars are the federal government going to pump into broadband? In excess of 100, uh, I would say that there's an excess of $100 billion this year that is available that could reasonably be used for broadband because we wouldn't expect all of the money that has multiple uses to be used for broadband, but easily more than $100 billion. And how many low-income neighborhoods in the United States will be 100% covered? Because it has to be the same as cable or your your twisted pair network. I mean, you can't just cherry-pick four MDUs and say you did an amazing job. How many low-income neighborhoods in, in this country will be served out of $100 billion of spending? It's a hard question, Travis. No, it's not zero. I, I would say, I would I say five. I, okay. I would I'll like to go out of the top 50 markets. I'd like, we'll to, have I'd like to go visit one that's actually done. Oh, this is great. Let's do it. Let's plan on doing that. We'll come back to it because, Travis, you and I have to do more traveling. In fact, Kim and okay. I want to make sure you go to Mountain Connect next year with us. zero. And I'm not talking and, four MDUs on a block. I'm talking. I know. I appreciate that. But let's also be clear. It's $100 billion. The vast majority of it can only be used in rural areas or areas that don't have cable coverage. So why, it's also why, a slightly why, different why question. Why is that? Who made that rule up, by the way? The cable and telephone cable companies com- made that rule. Cable role. companies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, and they're geniuses. They are. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes when it comes to not being competed against, they are geniuses. So. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to wrap up here, and um, and Doug, I, w- I do also want to bring you in. I feel like we have to find a show um, that you and Kim are already going to, and then Travis and I will road trip to it. I will let, I will allow Travis to drive me across the country in his RV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, that is that. Wait, that is it, not safe. Thing. That he, is not a wait, safe idea. Is, is he going to be getting Starlink in that RV? I forget. Well, the LTE, next year, I'll bet he does. No, LTE is terrible. So whoever thinks, <laughs> oh, it's worse than you can even imagine in reality. So any any WISP or ISP out there that thinks that the LTE networks are going to take over, don't worry. It's, it's not. It's ridiculously bad. I'm with you. Yeah. But I'm leaning toward Mountain Connect. Uh, otherwise, we're gonna we have to find a show, and then we're gonna figure out how to make sure they let us do a live um, connect this from the stage. I don't know if we're anybody's ready for that, but I'm all down. <laughs> I want to thank you all. I'm really looking forward to next week. Next week, we're going to be back. Um, we're probably going to have Travis and I live with my colleagues uh, all gathered in one spot. 
uh, with big buckets of popcorn to throw at us while we're talking. Um, they'll be uh, asking more questions, I hope. We're going to dive and really focus on permitting and rights of way. Uh, we have a specific use case as Travis is uh, going to talk about um, challenges in terms of transitioning from Minneapolis to some of the other towns around, which have different permitting approaches, some of which need some updating. And we're gonna try and talk about this issue in a way that, that others haven't in terms of not just saying the cities are dumb or providers are lazy and, and greedy, but uh, we're really focusing on what works, what doesn't work and things like that. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Doug. Thank you, Frozen Kim. <laughs> well, I just you wanted to let Kim know. We're, Kim, we're going to be doing all the talking next week because those two will be eating chicken wings during the whole show. It's I know. It's, it's true. <laughs> if, they, if they can find them, supply That's chain true. issues, folks. Oh, I'm so, going to start looking. Um, yeah. I want right. to do give a shout out for how great public Wi-Fi is, just in case anybody wants to know. So <laughs> your, audio, your audio has only had problems like glitch two or three times. It's been pretty good from that angle. So, fair enough. Well, I'm excited for next week. <laughs> Mr. Co-host, thank you. Thank you. Well done, Mr. Mitchell. And I look forward to next week's government program of the week that I don't know about. So, <laughs> This has been an episode of Connect This. Look forward to